You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be waxing lyrical about some of Arsenal's young England stars. We're going to be talking about the qualification process and what can be done about it, because it just doesn't sit right with me at this moment in time. There's a lot of games like last night's that are just too one-sided and it's really affecting the quality of international football. We're going to be talking about Italy's failure to qualify automatically for the World Cup coming up in Qatar. Are they going to miss out on a second consecutive World Cup? Lots to get into there. And we're going to be continuing our Q&A from yesterday because I realised that there are a lot of questions that were sent over that we didn't manage to get through because of the time constraints. So we'll make sure we'll pick up some more of those today. And um, yeah, looking forward to this one. As you can see, new setup. Uh, the studio has been completely revamped. Um, I've spent a lot of last night and and all of today up until now, um, you know, making sure that everything's in working order as well as working in between that as well. So I've been doing a, a lot to try and get it all ready and get it all set. I hope you enjoy it. It's much more comfortable for me than sitting on the couch uh, because you kind of want to lean forward so you can read the screen and you want to lean forward so that you can be as close to the camera as possible. But you know, it's, it's just not the same. This is a lot better. Um, everything is wired, so we should have less issues as well uh, from a technical perspective. So, yeah, really, really looking forward to bringing you more shows uh, via this brand new studio setup. Um, big hello to everybody in the live chat at the moment. As you'll see in the chat, I pinned the comments. Smash the like button if you hate Spurs. So uh, make sure you've hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Big hello to Mint, to Dave, to John, to the Modern Guna, to Sam, uh, to GB, to Julian, um, and uh, to everybody else watching us live, watching this back later on, or to those of you who will be listening to this via the audio platforms. Right, let's get into it then. And let's start off by talking about Emil Smith-Rowe. Obviously made his senior England debut last night got a goal, the perfect debut, you might say, apart from the fact that he assisted Harry Kane. I'm glad he assisted, but I just wish it wasn't Harry Kane. Uh, but there you go. You can't have everything. But I don't really want to kind of sit and, and discuss his performance in too much depth and in too much detail, because I think it's important we recognise how poor the opponent was. It's important that we recognise, although Emil Smith-Rowe did brilliantly and didn't look out of place on the international stage, we were playing, or England were playing, against a very, very poor San Marino side. And that will bring me on to my point a little bit later on about why I think the qualification setup probably needs to change. But San Marino, not a strong opponent. In fact, not even a, a remotely uh, competent opponent. But that doesn't take anything away from Emil Smith-Rowe, who went out on the pitch and looked very comfortable, very confident. Uh, as I say, didn't look out of place at all. And that will be a huge, huge confidence boost for the young man. I've said recently that I'm not that fussed if he plays for England at this stage. I'm not that fussed if uh, Gareth Southgate deems him good enough or not. You know, because for me, 
ultimately, as long as he does the business for Arsenal, that's what matters. And I stick by that. But I also recognise that by playing for England, by playing for your country, by getting that recognition on a more national scale, um, that, that will help the lad. It will help him in his development. It will help him to learn to deal with pressure. It will help him to learn to deal with the added scrutiny that comes with being an England international. And last night, Arsenal had three players starting on the pitch for England, which is something that you haven't seen for ages. And, um, you know, there was a there was a stat yesterday, um, if I can just find it. The last time three Arsenal players started an England match was in November 2014 against Scotland when Danny Welbeck, Jack Wilshire and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain played in a 3-1 friendly win at Celtic Park. So it's been a long, long time since England had three players in the England lineup. Um, Aaron Ramsdale, of course, in between the sticks and obviously uh, kept a clean sheet. So congratulations to Aaron Ramsdale as well. Another player who his performances have, have deserved this, have warranted this. It's the recognition that, you know, lots of players search for that recognition of being named as the number one um, for your country and, and to keep a clean sheet. Again, you know, take it with the caveat that it is San Marino, but to keep the clean sheet is obviously something very, very positive and something that uh, Aaron Ramsdale will will use to spur him on and will use to kind of build that confidence. So, yeah, good stuff. Bukayo Saka as well was also uh, in the side and he played in a variety of positions, as we know very well at Arsenal that Bukayo Saka can do. So uh, very useful player for England, very useful player for Arsenal, of course, um, but obviously getting the opportunity again to show that on the international stage. Moving on to the whole qualification thing, though, you know, I think if we're honest, and I know last night had lots of positives from an Arsenal perspective, but I think if we're being completely honest, who wants to watch England batter San Marino 10-0? Because I don't. I had zero interest in that fixture. Had it not been for some of our lads being involved, I probably wouldn't have even watched the highlights, if I'm being completely honest. You know, it's it's got to a point in international football, particularly in the qualification uh, campaigns, where I think something needs to be done. Now, this is not to have a go at San Marino specifically. You know, I'm Cypriot. Cyprus are just as bloody bad. All right, maybe not as bad as San Marino, but they're still bad. Um, and I believe that in their lifetime or in my lifetime, they'll probably never qualify for a major tournament. And that frustrates me because... You know, you can say that football has to be fair and that everybody has to be given equal opportunities. And I guess this does that in the sense of the fact that, you know, those teams are in groups with the likes of England and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I just think something needs to be done here. And if it were me, I think the solution is quite simple. I think you need to group these sides together, the minnows, if that's what you want to call them, into their own little pot, into their own little group. And... um and allow them to play against each other, allow them the opportunity to um, fight for maybe one playoff place amongst themselves. And look, the likelihood is that when they get to the playoff, they'll probably get beaten anyway. But that's normally how the playoffs work anyway. In years gone by, you know, we've seen certain um, draws come out. We've seen certain decisions taken because UEFA, FIFA, etc. prefer to have the big boys at the tournaments. But what an incentive it would be for San Marino, for Cyprus, for example, if they were in their own little group and they knew that even if there's eight of them in that one group, that there is one playoff spot up for grabs, it would just give them a, a sense of 
worth the feeling that they can do something, that they can achieve something. And if they were to go to the playoff, you know, in a one-off game, anything can bloody happen. And I know people say, and I go back to this point again, they only want to see the best players in the best countries um, at the major tournaments. I have no problem with there being one or two uh, minnows or, you know, with an excellent backstory who have made it all the way. I think that's fantastic. So I haven't really got an issue with it. I'd actually like to see it done that way. And and I think it would bring some interest in a lot of these nations. I mean, I can't speak for San Marino, but I can speak for Cyprus. And I know that the interest in the Cyprus national team in comparison to the club football is just a million miles apart. You know, they're, they're very into their club football. They follow their clubs passionately. There's good support, et cetera, et cetera. But in, in, you know, in on the international stage when Cyprus play, nobody turns up, nobody watches it, nobody talks about it, nobody bothers with it. So that's because, and that stems from the fact that they just know they're not competitive and they never will be going in groups against sides from much bigger nations with much more football in pedigree. And so I think you need to do something to incentivize these teams to take it seriously. And so that when they do start out a qualification campaign, they'll feel like at least they have an opportunity to get to the playoffs because right now they don't. And, and it's really, really frustrating and it's really boring and it's really poor. And the disparity between San Marino and England, for example, last night was just another reminder. We've seen this lots of times over the years, but last night was another reminder, you know, 10 nil. It's not a serious scoreline, is it? It's a cricket score. Um, which is is incredibly frustrating. So I do think something desperately needs to be done about that. I've got to be honest. Let me know what you think. Um, would you do something? Would you change the way the qualification system works? I think something needs to be done to not put six, seven of these teams that I'm talking about into the major tournament, but to give the opportunity to at least one or two to even reach the playoff phase um, you know, and at least have a crack at it, because right now I just think the interest is is really poor in those countries. And ultimately, you know, we're talking about this World Cup every two years. Arsene Wenger is going really hard on that and, and really beating that drum. But, you know, the idea is supposed to be inclusion for a lot of these nations. And I feel like the way it's working now, where there's a huge disparity between the likes of England and your San Marinos and your Cypresses and your Faroe Islands, et cetera, except your Gibraltars, it just feels to me like those countries have never got any hope. So what's the point in playing? And I don't want it to be like that. I think something needs to be done by the governing bodies to try and not close the gap because that's not going to be easy to do. Um, you know, bigger, more powerful nations with wealthier nations will invest greater in in their sports and will naturally, with a bigger pool of talent to select from, have stronger sports teams. But you've got to give these teams some sort of incentive. And right now they don't have one other than to just turn up and be the whipping boys of whatever group it is that they get put into. So I think something needs to be done. Right. Uh, let's see what you guys are saying in the chat box. Uh, Kalen Bourne says, sounds like an international Super League, Harry. No, that, that, that's not my intention. I don't want it to be like a Super League because I think there are a lot of nations. For example, you know, another example of a team that, you know, I, I know quite a bit about would be Greece, right? Greece are poor and they're rubbish and they're useless and they haven't been anything uh, even remotely good since Euro 2004, but 
they're a big enough nation with a big enough infrastructure to be able to go into a group with, you know, the Englands, the Croatias, the people like that. Whereas countries like Cyprus, they just don't have a chance. San Marino don't have a chance. So I think we've got to draw the line at the teams that are the real minnows, not teams that are just poor and are just underachieving at this current time. But you're giving those teams an incentive to win a group, essentially, maybe, and, and push into a playoff, which they could then, um, you know, stand the chance of um, of moving forward in. Uh, so, yeah, it's not a Super League as such, but I think there needs to be some more thought around how these groups are put together and the whole seeding system in general. Uh, Tuco says, uh, I'm getting the impression you don't like Greece. That is absolutely not the case, mate. Um, uh, they frustrate me as a footballing nation, uh, but I, I don't dislike Greece. I, in fact, I love Greece. It's probably my favourite place to visit. Um, so yeah, there's there's no hate here, I promise. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, John Daly says, players like Matty Cash have chosen to play for Poland now because he's not getting picked for England. More players have to maybe look at changing the na their nationality type thing. I think that's a slightly different issue, John, in that, um, you know, players look like, you know, look at the situation like Matty Cash. He'll look at that England squad and he'll see Reese James, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kieran Trippier, for example, all ahead of him in the right back position. And he'll feel like he stands a greater chance of playing at international level if he goes and plays for Poland, which, of course, he qualifies to play for. But Poland are not an issue for me in terms of the nations. Like when I think about the nations, you know, your Poland's. Yeah. All right. They don't qualify every single time and they're not always uh, at the level that maybe they should be, but they they have the infrastructure, they have the possibility um, and a chance to compete. So I think with with nations like Poland, it's a little bit different. But uh, you know, I don't have a problem with the flexibility around nations. You know, if you qualify to play for a country, why should that be uh, an issue? Why should that be stopped? I don't think it should. I think it's fine. Um, but I do think you need a, a second level, if you like, a second tier of nations uh, when it comes to the qualification campaign. And look, you give the fact that they are second tier nations means you give them less of a chance in the sense of there's less spaces up for grabs in terms of qualification. Um, and if they continue to develop and their UEFA ranking coefficient, whatever you call it, uh, improves and increases, then you can think about how you would move those teams into the upper tier. But I think there has to be something done because it's just really, really boring and really, really uninspiring. I mean, had Saka, Smith-Rowe and Ramsdale not been involved yesterday, how many of you Arsenal fans, even as England fans, would have bothered to watch that game? Because I could find things on Netflix I'd rather watch than that. Like, honestly... But, you know, you have a bit of an interest in it because of your uh, allegiances to our, our players. But for me, it's it's just it's not good. It's not good for the game. It makes the game look a bit of a shambles that there's a team that are supposedly uh, in with an opportunity uh, to, you know, to, you know, you're giving these teams an opportunity to compete. Yet they're going out there and they're getting thumped by 10 goals to nil, which is just not right. Uh, Steve Stone says, on the flip side, if you are a smaller nation, you can play against world-class players as it stands. Lumping minnows together will lessen the opportunity. Yeah, but I think you can still play against some of these sides in friendly, Steve. You can play against these sides 
at club level, um, at these players, I should say, at club level. I think what, what I'm where I'm coming from on this is obviously, look, the great thing about football and the great thing about the FA Cup, for example, is that you can have giant killings and you can have moments where, um, you know, teams can travel away from home, find it a little bit more difficult. But I just think with international football, it's different. You know, it's it's different because the interest is not there. Let's say Tranmere Rovers, just as an example, draw Liverpool in the cup. You know that their ground is going to be packed to the rafters and it's going to be a massive day out and a massive occasion. Let's say Cyprus played against Spain. I could tell you that the stadium will be empty. Nobody will care and nobody will care because they don't feel like they have a chance. And this is what international football essentially is. If you... If you are a Tranmere fan and you go and get beaten by Liverpool, okay, you're, you'd like to win the game, but you know you've still got your division and you've still got your league and you've still got an opportunity to earn promotion and, and you have something to play for. And this is an added bonus. This is an extra. But the purpose of international football is to qualify for major tournaments and go and compete at major tournaments. And those nations for me just don't have any chance of doing that which is why I think that we need to do something about it. And, and I don't, you know, this is not a decision that, or a thought process or a, a, an opinion that I've cooked up overnight. It's been my opinion for many, many years. And I think more so now than ever, where we're having discussions about how to make football more appealing, how to continue the development of our game. It's important that that we consider this and think about this, I think anyway. Um, so, yeah, and, and I agree with Dave here in the chat where he says, Steve makes a fair point, which he absolutely does. He says it reduces opportunity, but it increases the incentive. And listen, football with nothing riding on it is is worthless. I mean, how many times in pre-season do you get frustrated by the friendlies or or do you have to? I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I cover Arsenal. And so I have to watch them and I have to be across them and I have to read into what goes on in them. But I've got to be honest, you know, I struggle to get myself up for those games. Just like I struggle to get myself up for games when once Arsenal season is done and dusted in comparison to when you're in the mix or something. So I do think the incentive is a is a big thing. Um Real Guna says um even I could have scored at San Marino. Actually even my grandma could have. Uh, Daniel Hartley says you have to keep the dream alive for these countries. Otherwise it is taking away their hope every country has a right to compete. Uh, good stuff. Uh, we'll move on a little bit from this discussion because I do realise this is an Arsenal podcast, but it is international time. It is the international break. And I wanted to just touch on some of the relevant topics. We are going to take, remember, some of your questions that you submitted on the Q&A yesterday because I didn't get around to getting through all of them. If you've got any new questions that you've thought up today or between then and now, uh, please do drop them in the live chat box, pop a cue at the beginning uh, of your question and I will pick it out and we can discuss uh, some of those for the last sort of 15 minutes or so. Um, just final update on the international scene is, of course, Italy, who were held to a nil-nil draw at Windsor Park by Northern Ireland last night. Now, incidentally, Italy have never won at Windsor Park. They've played there three times previously and they've never won there before. So it wasn't always going to be an easy game. And, and the thing I need to stress about Italy, who were poor last night, very uninspiring, um, they needed to obviously win, but they needed to better or at least only be one worse off in terms of goal difference than Switzerland, who won emphatically uh, in their game against Bulgaria. But Italy seemingly missing out, or, or they have missed out on the automatic spot. Of course, they have a chance to qualify via the playoffs. I don't think people realise how 
big this is and the magnitude of this. If Italy were to miss out on two World Cups consecutively, that would be huge. It would be a massive deal. It would be a massive problem. Um, I think there'll be some clubs out there that will be looking at Roberto Mancini and feeling as though if he fails to qualify for the World Cup, that means he will put the or, or, or leave Italy and, and not continue with his project and not continue with the Azzurri, which then makes him available at club level, which a lot of clubs I think would be interested in. But I mean, what I just want to stress on this is that Italy, for them, the damage was not done last night. You know, you can easily go to Northern Ireland and not win. You know, they haven't conceded a goal at home at Windsor Park in this qualification campaign, which is out extraordinary. But the damage was done against Switzerland, where Italy missed a penalty in both games. So, yeah, big, big, uh, big issues for them. And, and they'll be hoping to get a favourable draw, of course, in the playoffs. And hopefully they can book their place in the World Cup because a World Cup without Italy is it even a World Cup. i got to say. Uh, right. Let's go and take some of your questions then. Uh, we'll take one more uh, sort of non-Arsenal related one from Jean-René. Uh, who says, how do you think Xavi will do at Barcelona and why? Sorry for the non-Arsenal topic. No, it's fine, mate. Um, how do I think Xavi will do at Barcelona? It's really difficult to say, mate. I, I haven't really followed his career um, out in the Middle East. I know he's he's said to have done a pretty decent job. We know that footballing, uh, his footballing philosophy will be very similar to a lot of the coaches he worked under. And I'd imagine that he will bring back the Barcelona way, if you like. But we all know that Barcelona have some serious issues financially in terms of their playing squad. And I think for me, it's going to take a long time um, to, you know, to get Barcelona back to the pinnacle of not just Spanish football, but European football, because we know that in investing in the team is going to prove difficult for them. So I'd like Xavi to do well. I think as a football man, you've got to love Xavi for what he did as a player. Um, I love the whole romanticism of him going back to Barcelona, the club that he represented so brilliantly as a player and now having the opportunity to do that. But we've seen in the past that there's no guarantee, um, you know, that that, that means it's going to work because he is a former Barcelona player. But I, I think he'll do all right if he's given the time. The problem is, will he be given the time? And, and that's always the question mark I have uh, around clubs like Barcelona. Uh, Mint says, uh, what do you think of safe standing at the Arsenal and what areas would you allow to stand? Personally, I'd love to see the lower tiers standing only. Um, I'm a massive fan of safe standing and the idea of it and the concept of it. And I'll tell you why. I sit in block six at the Emirates Stadium in the North Bank. That's where my season ticket is. And it's... Um, it's not directly behind the goal as you're face as you're looking at the goal. It's to the or as you're looking at the goal from the pitch, it's to the left in the corner. So where the, the, the kind of stadium bows around. And we stand anyway from behind the goal all the way around that side, pretty much most of the way up to the dugouts. Everybody stands anyway. So why not create an environment whereby it is safer for us to stand? We do it anyway. Nobody comes and tells us not to do it. I think they've tried in the past and found it impossible to get thousands of people to sit down um, with just a couple of stewards kind of spreading the word. So I think seeing as we do it anyway, then why not make it safer? Why not make it 
you know, or why not put the rails in or whatever to make it fit for purpose? I, I think it's a good idea. I would like to see it. I would encourage it. And I think it does help the atmosphere. I'd also probably do it in the clock end as well uh, from where the away fans end, maybe up until the next corner. I I'd probably do it at both ends. I think behind the goals, especially, it's important. Look, there are people that like to sit down and there are people that don't, um, you know, and that's fine. People have their choice. What does irritate me a little bit is when people come into what is clearly a standing area and try and rule the roost and insist that people sit down. You know, you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to change the habits of six, seven thousand people in a particular section uh, on the one odd occasion that you you arrive. So, yeah, um, I think it's it's a it's a big issue. I think Tottenham have agreed to do it. Or have had it approved, I think, from January. So I guess Arsenal, like a number of other clubs, will probably be looking at it uh, quite closely and looking at how other clubs fare in that department before taking the decision. But we know it's been something that's been on the agenda with Arsenal for a long, long time. We know that I think it's the Arsenal Supporters Trust have brought this up on numerous occasions. And I think it is something that we will see. And I do think it's something that will improve the atmosphere. Um to a degree, if it doesn't improve it that much, because a lot of us do it anyway, it will at the very least make it safer. And I don't see why um, why anyone would have any objection to that, if I'm being honest. Uh, John Daly says, the attitude of this group of players is clear to see. Do you believe that the likes of Saka and Millsmith Rowe are playing better because of the group of players Arteta has brought in? I think it's partly down to that, John. I think it's partly down to their natural development. You know, they're a year on. Um, they're getting better and better with each passing season. I think that's probably the main reason. But I do think that the atmosphere around the squad at the moment and the attitude of the players that uh, are around them obviously helps. I think you've seen us arrive at a point now where those whose attitudes were questionable are no longer at the football club. It's taken some time to get there. It's taken some time for Arsenal to clear it out and, and get these people um, in the door, but, you know, or get these people out the door, I should say. But I, I do think, yeah, the, the the attitude and the positivity around the squad in general has obviously helped uh, for sure. Uh, Neil D'Souza says, is Partey available for the Liverpool match? I don't know, mate. Um, at this stage, I don't know. I'm a little bit concerned about this. I touched on it yesterday. Um, about the fact that for me, this would be a huge blow and it would significantly reduce our chances of coming away from Anfield with anything. But equally, you know, as we've seen with Thomas Partey before, we can't really take risks on his fitness. And we've done it before. We've brought him back too soon. We've brought him back too early. We've rushed him out of desperation and we've ended up losing him again. And I really don't want that to happen. I'm massively concerned about Partey. Um, Partey's fitness overall and in general, I think we've we've got a big problem with it. I think it's something that we're going to have to accept is going to be an issue throughout his Arsenal career because it has been up until this point. So I guess the most sensible solution to it is to go out and invest in another midfield player who you feel can do that job. And I think, you know, there are a few signs, there are a few questions on Twitter, so I'll hit those ones on the head now um, with regards to what would be my ideal January sign-in. Who would I like to see come in? I think somebody uh, to come in in the centre of midfield is a, is a must. I really do. And who would I like it to be? I wouldn't mind seeing Yves Basuma come in. Um, you know, I, I thought in the summer that he wouldn't be the type of profile of player that Arsenal were looking for because we had Partey. But 
as these injury issues continue with Thomas Partey, I'm starting to think that we need an alternative. Not sure Sambi Lakonga is that alternative just yet. Not sure he's ready to be that alternative option just yet, especially with Xhaka out as well. You're relying on youth and inexperience too heavily, in my opinion. So I think, yeah, um, we probably need to to go out and bring a midfield player in in January, if possible, uh, to prevent ultimately us missing out on an opportunity to challenge for a European place because I really feel like we've got a chance now. And if we were to miss out because we didn't sort that midfield problem out, you know, we didn't sort it in the summer, I don't think. That was the one black mark against Arsenal's transfer window was that I felt we missed the opportunity to really kind of, uh, you know, I know we've improved the squad, but to really take it to another level. So I think that this... This is an issue now that we got to address in January if we can, because if we don't, then you'll be looking back at two transfer windows and saying, why didn't we do it? Now, I recognise and appreciate that in January, it's a lot more difficult to do the business that you want to do. And it can be quite tough to persuade players to move, to persuade clubs to part ways with their players. But I think it's so imperative that Arsenal... um, address that midfield position as soon as possible. I really, really do. Uh, big hello to Mohamed Iraqi, who joins us from Palestine. Hope you're well, mate. Um, hope you're good. Uh, big hello to Jonathan as well, uh, who joined us a little bit later. He says, are you ready for our first victory at Anfield since 2012? I hope you're right, mate. I hope you are right. Uh, let's see what else... Um, what else we've got here? Uh, Francis says, uh, what do you think of Calvin Phillips as a potential signing for Arsenal? I'm not a big Calvin Phillips fan. I got I got battered uh, for saying that during the summer, during the Euros, because I didn't feel like him and Declan Rice as a combination were on the same level of some of the other midfields. I know England went to the final, but I felt ultimately in the final, one of their big problems was a, a, an inability to control the game. And I think that that stems a lot of the time from not having... Uh, technical enough midfield players. And I think Calvin Phillips can be a decent player, but I don't think he's at Arsenal level. He's not someone I'd break the bank for. Remember as well, playing for a fellow Premier League club means, um, you know, we'd have to, we'd have to break the bank. We'd have to convince them uh, to, you know, to to let him go and and that would mean throwing a lot of money at the problem. And and for me, Calvin Phillips is, is not really the answer. Uh, let's take this one uh, from Jid, who says, with Jacker already doing light training, do you think we'll see him back much sooner than expected? Uh, potentially, potentially. You know, I think there was a there was a feeling around Granite Xhaka when the diagnosis was was publicised that he would be, if anybody was going to get back fitter quicker, it would be Granite Xhaka, given uh, his sort of professionalism and how good he's been. Um, at staying fit throughout his career up until this point. Yeah, I'm I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful that that he can. And I think that Arsenal will be looking at him very closely. And I think that, you know, I was talking about the need to maybe go out and bring in a midfielder. I do think that depending on what happens with Granite Xhaka, we'll we'll probably we'll see Arsenal decide whether or not to go out in the in the transfer market. So let's see. Let's see. Right, let's take a few of the questions that you submitted uh, via the community tab yesterday as well because uh, we didn't get around to doing all of those uh, Matt G says hey Harry um, where is it if at the end of the season we haven't made top four how many points away would we have to be able to say 
we challenge for the top four? I think that's a really difficult question to answer uh, specifically. I think if you're within kind of like six points, you can say you were in the running. But remember, things can change in football. You know, you could, for example, get to the FA Cup final, FA Cup semi-final, realise you're not going to make it via the league and then take your foot off the gas for a few weeks at the end of the season, in which case the points gap between yourselves and fourth could increase. Maybe not fairly, maybe not. And maybe that won't be a true reflection of how your season went. So I don't really want to put a label in terms of exact specific number of points, but you've got to be there or thereabouts come the last month or two of the season, haven't you, to to be in uh, in contention. So, yeah, I, I think I'd rather look at it by how long are we within touching distance of it as opposed to um, specifically how many points we need to be within it. I, I think that's probably a better way of doing it. Uh, Andy Land says, don't you think it's a concern how our defenders are always the man of the match, Bart Ainsley, Mate and Nars? And is that a sign fifth could be a false position? I don't think so. I think it's the way we play. I think we have to stop obsessing with the Arsenal way, if you like, and accept that right now, a lot of what we do well is is around the defensive side of the game. It's our defence that is making the difference at the moment rather than our attack. And that's fine. You know, as long as it's sustainable, that's cool. You know, teams that don't concede goals traditionally, you know, are there or thereabouts, at least at the top of the table, competing. And I'm good with that. You know, I'm good with that as long as we're picking up results. I'd like to see an improvement in an attacking sense. I'd like to see us more score more freely, score more goals. I think in recent weeks we've shown signs of at least creating more, um, you know, in, in matches. But yeah, look, uh, it's not really a concern for me. If the defence is keeping clean sheets week in, week out, and they those guys are getting applauded, it's so be it. You know, ultimately, we're still getting the results and we're still getting the reward. Uh, so I'll take it. It's not a big concern for me, but it's an interesting observation, Andy. And I haven't looked it up. I haven't looked up the facts to kind of know exactly how often that's been the case. But I think I will after this show, because I think that's an, an interesting discussion point and a really good one uh, raised. So thank you so much, mate. Right. Let's have a quick check in on where we are in terms of likes right now. Let's see. Uh, I can see there's over 150 of you watching us live right now. Uh, on YouTube alone. Uh, but in terms of likes, I suspect we're probably slacking a little bit. We are currently only on 52 likes. Let's get that up to 75 uh, by the time the outro plays. That should be uh, more than achievable. So um, yeah, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you're listening via the audio platforms, please, please do leave us a review, spread the word. We're going to be streaming again soon on Twitch again as well. And Facebook, we've got Chronicles of Aguna Facebook page, which we'll be streaming on. So we're going to up it. We're going to put it across the multiple platforms. And uh, yeah, look forward to sharing the content with you in the coming days. We're going to start our build up to Arsenal versus Liverpool on Thursday, uh, which will be interesting. We've got some more features and bits and pieces to come in the meantime. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to, to what's to come in the next few days. Premier League is nearly back. In fact, I'm going to tell you exactly how long it is until Arsenal uh, take on Liverpool at Anfield. Uh, it's not a game that you look forward to because of traditionally how... Uh, badly we've done in that fixture. But there are four days, four hours, 24 minutes and 34 seconds at the time of recording uh, left until that one for those of you who are counting. Right, I'm going to leave it there. Don't forget, like, 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 hit the like button if you haven't done so already. I'll be back later on today 
with another live stream. Until then, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. And I've got to sort out the mess I've made moving all this stuff around. Oh, God. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.